Well, today is Mother's Day, and I hope you have a good one planned. Today is also the Lord's Day. And so let's open our copy of God's Word and see what God has to say to us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13. I'll start reading in verse 10 in just a moment. That's Luke 13. I'll start reading in verse 10. And we're going to look at this story about this disabled woman. And uh, some of the details in the story, and I guess you would say really kind of the, the, the main thing that I'm going to be talking about today, got me, got me thinking about something that I, that I hope is illustrative for you. I hope it helps drive home the point. Um, but I started thinking about the difference between like modern warfare, y'all are like, what? Yeah, hang with me. Modern warfare and like ancient warfare. And uh, as, as an example to the sermon, and I promise I'll tie it all together, it made me think of this stronghold that used to exist in Israel, and it's still there today, and it's called Masada. And I want to show you a picture of this. It's actually, a, it's actually kind of an interesting place. How many, of, how many of you know what Masada is? How many of you have ever been there? Anybody, anybody ever been to Masada before? A few people who've been to Israel have been there before. This is, this is quite the place. If you're into hiking, man, hike up to the top of this dude. I think I took a trolley up. When you get up there, it's a pretty incredible place. You look at it and you think, man, if I built a fort, if I built a fortress on top of this and I was being attacked by an army, there is no one that could defeat me. Now, in modern warfare, they'd just drop a bomb on top of you. But, but in ancient warfare, ancient siege warfare, I mean, how in the world would you conquer that stronghold? Well, there were 900 Jews, about, they, they, most of them zealots, who in about 70, 73 A.D., they were hiding from the Romans. The Romans had gone through, and they had conquered Jerusalem. And these 900 leftover zealots, they got up on top of this stronghold, this fortress with cliffs around on each side, and they thought, man, the Romans will never get us up here. Well, they eventually built a land bridge. They, they went on, I believe it was the, west, uh, was the west side of Masada, and they just kept piling up dirt until they got enough dirt piled up to where they had a land bridge, and then they pushed some siege works up, up, to, the, up to the top, and of course, uh, they took it. If you want to read about that, you can, uh, you can Google that. It's a pretty interesting story about a stronghold that existed in a place. I, I think this image of a stronghold, a place where, where, where someone or something could hold up in our life and, and rule, uh, I, I think there's a spiritual application to be had there. And we're going to see in our text today, we're going to look at a lady who had a stronghold in her life. It wasn't necessarily a physical location, although it was a physical ailment that she had. And we're going to see how Satan used this particular stronghold, this particular uh, thing in her life, as a means by which to attack her and to, to have her bound, to tie her up. And we're going to also see how Jesus set her free. So this morning, I just want to ask you to stand as we read God's Word and we look at Luke chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse 10. It says, Now as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Man, leave it to these uppity religious guys to spoil the moment. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer today. My prayer today is that your people would rejoice, that your people would rejoice over all of the great things that you do. God, we know that you are the bondage breaker. God, we know that there is no stronghold uh, that you can't defeat. Lord, we know that there is no person here today that is not bound in some way under the power of Satan. There's no person here today that you don't have the power to lose. And so, Lord, I pray that you would unbind us from the things that constrain us from being all that you have called us to be. Lord, give us attentive ears, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, really four players that we see in this story. And I, I hope that what we read here today, I hope that as, as you see some of this application, I genuinely hope that it's beneficial in helping you overcome uh, those, those, uh, those Masada-sized strongholds in your life. But we really have four players. So obviously we have Jesus. We have Jesus who uh, he did a miracle in this woman's life, the same type of miracle that we have looked at for several weeks, dating all the way back to, I believe, February. We've looked at all these examples of all these miracles that Jesus performed. And then we have Satan. Now, Satan is mentioned here, but he's, he's, he's not really an upfront actor. He's mentioned by Jesus as being kind of behind the scenes in what has been taking place in this woman's life for 18 years. And then, of course, the third person, you have the woman who is, uh, who is in this story. Um, and then you have this synagogue ruler. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him, uh, but I'm going to point out a couple of things and really going to repeat something uh, that I've said before. First, let's look at this woman and let's see what was wrong with her. The Bible says that she had a problem. Uh, Jesus, uh, or, uh, Jesus uh, as he approaches her, calls her over. The Bible says that she had a disabling spirit. Now that language kind of jumps out to me. Um, in all of these stories that we've read in this series, in Luke, all these healings, all of them had some type of medical problem, except for a few. Uh, some, some of them had a, a purely spiritual problem in that they were possessed by a demon. And uh, we can almost distinguish, usually we can distinguish between those two issues. There are people that had the spiritual problem that were possessed by a demon. Jesus cast the demon out. There were the people who had a medical problem and Jesus saw the physical need and he healed them. But this, this phrase, 
a disabling spirit, it really caught my attention as I started working through the text and I started studying. So I asked, my, I asked myself a question. Is, is this a physical problem that this woman has or is it a spiritual problem that, that sh- that's going on here? I mean, is it just the fact that, I don't know, maybe she had some type of extreme form of, of, of scoliosis? Um, it, was it just physical or was there something that is, was much deeper than that? Well, because both of these, I mean, it's, it's not just that she was disabled it, and it, it, it was physical. It was not just that there was something spiritual, but the fact that the fact that we see both of those really leads me to answer my own question by saying that it's really both of these were kind of happening in her life. I mean, think about it for a moment. Can you really have a major physical thing going on in your life, a major medical need, a, rage, a major relational problem, major financial problem, and it, it just only be that and, and not affect all the other areas of your life? I mean, can you, can you really have a physical problem and not have non-physical consequences and issues that are residual to that? I mean, think about it just in case of, of this woman who was not able to stand up completely. And again, in my mind, in, in, in my mind, I don't, just, I don't just think about her having a bad back. I mean, I think about an extreme form of, of being bent over. Can you imagine the psychological, emotional, and relational effects that this has had on her life for 18 years? That's a long time for that to happen. And can you imagine the spiritual things that also that could, could just naturally accompany that? I mean, can you think about the anger, the depression, the sadness, the relational hang-ups? Not to mention, perhaps, I mean, if I was in this situation, maybe you too, uh, perhaps maybe she asked God why. Why did this happen? Or, 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 or you know, what, what's, what, did, what, did I, what did I do wrong? Here's my point. Satan loves to use your earthly problems to disable you and bind you. And not just in a physical way. He wants to use any problem that you have, whether it be medical or relational, financial, whatever it might be, he wants to use those problems to disable you in a spiritual way in a relational way, in an emotional way. He wants to attack you through those things. This is pretty cruel when you think about it. That he wants to use the most hurtful things in your life to build a stronghold and keep you from being the person that God wants you to be. He wants to, he wants to use these things. And basically, I believe that that's, that's what was going on with this woman. Uh, Jesus said that Satan had had her bound, and so this was both physical and spiritual in her life. She could not fully straighten herself. Obviously, this could mean more than a, a, a physical thing. And who among us can fully straighten ourselves? Who, who among us could fully overcome even, even our physical problems, much less our spiritual problems? We don't have the capability, we don't have the means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are all spiritually disabled and crippled on the inside in some way. 
from being the person and living the life that God wants us to live, and Jesus is the one that can make us straight. That's what he did in this woman's life. She was made straight. Verse 12 and verse 13. He told her, he said, hey, you got this stronghold in your life, but look, you are freed from your disability. And the Bible says that she was made straight and she began to glorify God. And all this happened in her life despite the fact that Satan had her bound. Now listen, I'm going to say this again. I don't believe that when Jesus says that Satan had her bound, that he was only speaking about a bad back. That there was something deeper that Satan was using this in her life, had her bound up in a lot of ways, but Jesus fixed her. Amen? Jesus did a miracle in her life. He fixed her, and he fixed more than just her physical limitations. Anything else that we could possibly, even in our imagination, and we don't know the whole experience of of what this woman went through, we can think about all of the ways that her life was made straight and fixed as a result of Jesus healing her. We know it did something on the inside of her. The Bible says that she began to glorify God. Can I tell you that just because Jesus works a miracle in your life doesn't automatically mean that you'll glorify God? We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks with these, uh, with these 10 people, these 10 lepers that were healed and only one returned to give glory to God. I, I bet you maybe you've done that in your life. Maybe you had a major problem. Maybe it wasn't a major medical issue. It was just some type of problem and God worked it out for you and you didn't even stop so long just to say thank you. Maybe you said, oh, I'm, I, I thank the Lord for this, but maybe not deep inside of you. The Bible says that she glorified God. There was something inside of her that was made straight besides just her spine. And Satan will do anything he can to keep you from glorifying God. He'll do anything that he can. If Satan thinks that he can make you sick and disabled, and that'll keep you from glorifying God. He will want to do anything he can to make you sick and disabled. If Satan thinks that having blessings, relational or financial or whatever it might be, having blessings in your life will keep you from glorifying God, that's what he would hope for you and hope to see happen. He wants you to do anything except glorify God. Man, I bet that was a sweet song she sang. In my mind, she's singing. Pastor Andy, I don't know if she was singing or not. I mean, she was glorifying God. I mean, I don't know. I think she was singing. The Bible doesn't say that. But there was something verbal going on. I mean, there was some type of expression. There was some type of praise. Maybe she was quoting scripture. I don't know. Maybe she was dancing. She probably hadn't done that in a long, a long, a long time. Um, But she was rejoicing, she was praising, she was thanking him for the deliverance. Can you imagine that that, something like that happening in our church and synagogue? This happened in the synagogue. How many many of us would rejoice at that? How many of us would, would rejoice and say, praise the Lord, this happened? Now how many of you would stand up and say, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Uh, it's Sunday, and we don't do work on Sundays, and so she should have been healed on a day other than Sunday. I mean, how many of us in here would say that? Do not raise your hand <laughs> if you would say that. 
because you're going to identify with someone who had a major religious spirit who he was not rejoicing. Now, this is a little bit of a sidebar in the story, but I want to point it out again because this is a recur. We see certain things when we look when we look at all of these things. I've been listen. I've been fascinated by looking at all these healings. There are certain things that just re, that just repeat themselves and recur in the story. And when they recur, I feel like that I need to keep saying them. Jesus kept saying them, and Jesus kept doing them, and they kept happening. And so to preach the whole counsel of God, we just need to keep saying it. But, I mean, we, for example, the golden thread of faith just kind of it, it maneuvers and weaves through all of these stories. But then we also see these opponents of Jesus, these uppity religious guys, that they're constantly, they're constantly sticking their heads up like a chicken peeking over a log. I mean, they're just always there. And we see this guy who had a religious spirit, this synagogue ruler. You know, I think he was the most disabled person in the room. If there's anybody that had a crooked heart and that was crippled in their soul, it had to have been this guy. I mean, how can you not be happy over something that just happened? How can you not rejoice over this major work of God just because, just because it violated one of your rules? And, and you're not going to rejoice in what God had done? I mean, his spiritual life, if there's anything that wasn't straight, it was his spiritual life. And he had everything on the outside. I picture him in my mind of being completely physically healthy. Otherwise, why would he say such a thing? I mean, if, if he had such a need in his own life, he probably had everything in life, but his soul was a mess. Now, if you want to see more, if, if you want to see more or hear more or, uh, about, about a religious spirit, I had a whole sermon on this, um, and it, uh, I, be, I believe the title of the sermon was A Religious Spirit, and you can go to our website, you can look it up, uh, it was on March the 26th. But let me just review for you, I won't take long. Um, a religious spirit, when I, when I say a religious spirit, basically I mean a hard-hearted adherence to rules, rituals, and doctrines. Do, not, do we not see that in this synagogue ruler? It didn't matter that a great work had been done. It didn't matter that, that God was at work in the heart of a woman and she was glorifying God. None of that mattered because his heart was so hard. And why, listen, why was his hard heart? His rules, his rituals, and his doctrine. Those things had hardened his heart, and he just didn't have a capacity to, 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 to show any type of, of, uh, of uh, any, any type of rejoicing along with this woman. Now, I showed you this slide also in that sermon in March, uh, three characteristics of a person with the religious spirit. We saw this in that passage, and I can't even remember what story that it was in. But we see it here too. I mean, he's accusing people because this happened on the Sabbath. And he's not encouraging this woman going up to her saying, I am so excited about what God is doing in your life. Man, the Lord just did a miracle for you. Praise God. Gives her no encouragement. All he was worried about was his doctrine. You know, not doing something on the Sabbath. He didn't care about discipleship. Guarantee you he had punishment in his mind and had no grace on the inside of him. But here's the thing. He was incapable of helping this woman. He was completely incapable in all of his rules and all of his doctrine of helping her. But Jesus was the one that showed up in a big way. And, this, and we see, now I, I, I want to play on this, this word, bound. The Bible says that Satan had her bound, but Jesus 
untied, unbound, freed. He released her from both the physical and the spiritual things that were jumbled up in her life that had become a stronghold holding her back from being the person that God wanted her to be. And Jesus uses a powerful example. How many of you, first off, Jesus uses a powerful word. Man, this word hypocrite, I mean, that's, that's one of Jesus' favorite words. Now, I don't suggest that you start slinging that word around at people. I just, I, I, I don't suggest that. Uh, Jesus used this word for those uppity religious guys who were hardcore legalistic, and we, we might, we might want to use that word, I don't know, I don't know, maybe we need to use it. Maybe we need to call a spade a spade. Maybe we need to use it more. He used it a lot. But he also used a powerful example to describe what happened in this woman's life. He uses the image of an ox or a donkey being untied. Now, in my mind, I see, I, I see a fence post in an old Western movie. Sorry, just a... Time that I grew up in, I guess I watched too many Western movies. Cowboy gets off his horse and he throws it, he throws it and wraps it around a post. All right, so I, I had this post in my mind. It wasn't a post, but uh, they tied it to something. Here's the thing about a tied up animal a tied up animal cannot provide for itself. It, it cannot provide for itself. All right, you leave your dog shut up in your house for a week and you will probably come back and that animal, animal will not be alive. You open the door, let it out, at least it has some chance to go find food or water or something to provide for its own needs. But a tied up animal cannot do anything for itself. Now, I have animals, I have, I have two dogs that live on my back porch. And they have my back porch, and they have a third of my yard to kind of to kind of to kind of run in. That's I guess you'd say that's kind of the way. Now they they get to come in the house every now and then and sit on a rug. They live for it. Let me tell you, they live their life hoping to get into that. They will neglect food, anything that they can just get in there and lay on that rug. But we, I mean, and you have this too. You have constraints in which you keep your pets. Funny thing happened. Uh, the other day. So if you train an animal long enough within its boundaries, it will eventually stay within those boundaries. And uh, our animals, they kind of know their boundaries. If we can, we can open up the gate, we can let them out in the backyard and they'll run and play for a minute, but it won't be long before they just naturally just kind of make their way back up on the porch because they're just so used to it. Well, the other day we left the house and we left the gate wide open, wide open. Now, my dogs, they can get a little excited. They don't bite people, but they get excited around people, and they especially get excited around other animals. We came back. It had been at least two hours, and I looked, and those dogs, the gate, the gate was open like this. Those dogs were standing right on the line, just sitting there looking. Even whenever we pulled up, they did not come running out past the boundary in which I had kept them in. You know that's what Satan wants to do to you? He wants to train you to kind of live within constraints. And he wants to keep you in boundaries. He didn't, he didn't want you venturing out. He didn't want your faith to take you out too far. 
He, he wants to keep you tied. He wants to build a stronghold in your life. He doesn't even have to tie you up in it anymore. He's, he's built that stronghold and he's placed you in it and you just kind of submit to it rather than submitting to what God tells you to do. Satan can bind you and hold you captive and he can put you in a stronghold and after a, after a while, it's not even much effort. You're just like a tied up animal that even if you got untied, probably wouldn't go through far, go too far away. It can be a stronghold to something, or it can be a stronghold through something, kind of like this, kind of like this woman in her life. She had an ailment, and through that ailment, Satan, according to Jesus, had her bound. Where does the hand of Satan have you bound? Where does the hand of Satan have you tied up? Where ha how have you limited your spiritual life in your own mind? I bet for most of us it's not a bad back. But it could be something medical like this lady. It could be a sickness. Or you know what it could be? It could be a sinful habit. Something that you're saying, something that you're doing, something that you're feeling. Some type of recurring habit in your life that you just can't seem to break, and so you've just, you've just kind of you just kind of given up and said, well, nobody's perfect. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an emotional need. Maybe it's a real need in your life that you've just become tied to. And through that need, Satan has just got you in his grip, and he's just squeezing you. Maybe it's your poverty. Maybe it's your riches. Jesus talked about that a lot. The truth is, there are all sorts of things that Satan can use to bind us to his will. Maybe it's a busy segment schedule. Y'all, I got a, man, I got a sermon series coming up. I think I'm going to preach it in the fall about being overly busy and overly stressed and overly tied to the clock and overly tied to our, our cell phones and our, our devices. You know, you can have problems. Listen, you can have problems and not be spiritually bound. You're going to have problems in this life, but you can have problems and you can still live an abundant life of peace, joy, and worship. Amen? Amen? Can it happen in your life? Some of you know firsthand. I, I guarantee you, some of you go around and you can say, you know, I know the problems that have me bound. But I bet some of you could go around and you could say, you know what, I had this particular problem or thing in my life, but I still had peace and I still had joy and I didn't let Satan tie me up. You have the power over Satan to bind you and put you in strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. I love these verses. I want to kind of insert them in here. The Bible says, for though we walk in the flesh, though we live in this life, though we live in this frail body, though we exist in this world, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't use drones and guns or fists 
or elaborate technologies or helicopters that are silent the way we went in on bin Laden. We don't, we, those, are not the we, those are not the weapons that we fight with. We have weapons of our warfare, a different type of warfare, a spiritual warfare, a warfare that's waging around you, but is also waging in your heart, the, the, not according to the flesh, but these weapons have power, but they have divine power, not a physical power, not a power to exert uh, energy and control over the world around us, because people who have that type of power tend to abuse that type of power, but the power that we have is divine power. And what is it all for? To destroy strongholds. You may have a Masada-like fortress in your life. That picture of that mountain that I showed you at the beginning of the sermon. It may be a sinful habit. It may be limitations that you put on yourself. But you have divine power given to you by God to destroy strongholds. And we are in a war. This is not peacetime. We're not in peacetime. We're in a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to get to you through all the systems of the world. He wants to bind you up in your temptations that you're facing in life, all the hardships that you go through. In everything, Satan is after you. In all of it, he is after you. He is like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to bite and devour. And he's going to laugh while he does it because he hates you. But you have weapons. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare. It doesn't list them. But I give you, here, let me give you some suggestions of some weapons. How about this? How, how about the Word of God? This is probably the best weapon that you have. The Bible says that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And that you have it and that you can wield it. You possess it. But the truth is, not many of us use it in a way to where it really sharpens our soul. Some of you here today, the only time that you really open God's Word is maybe on your smartphone or with your eyeballs whenever you come and hear me preach once a week. That is not enough. My preaching by itself once a week is not enough to change your life. I hope that it might be an impetus for you to make changes. I hope that it might be a motivator for you to say, I want to love the Word of God more. But if, if your only encounter with the Word of God is once a week on Sunday for 35 minutes with me, you will never, your soul will never be able to fully wield the Word of God and the divine power that's available to you. You have prayer, but if the only time that you pray is a little popcorn prayer whenever you're in trouble, God help me. And if you don't spend extended amounts of time in silence and solitude and prayer and meditation, which goes against our culture, if you don't do that, you're never going to experience the spiritual power that's talked about in these verses. If you don't take advantage of God's people, Man, God's people are instrumental weapons. They, they are arrows in your quiver. Iron sharpening iron. Being around each other. 
encouraging one another, calling each other out whenever, whenever we sin, keeping each other accountable, instructing and teaching one another. The Bible says that God uses this to fill us with his spirit. And that's really the best weapon you have. You have the literal presence of God living inside of you. You have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. And odds are you haven't spent time with him much at all. And maybe don't even really know him very well. We've got to use the weapons at our disposal or we will never have a divine power to overcome those Masada-like strongholds in our life. Where's your stronghold? Two ways to look at it. There's something, there, there's, there's something in my life that I'm saying or doing that I need to get rid of. Or... You, Satan has placed you within these boundaries, just like a dog in a fence or an animal that's been tied to a gate. And you put all these limits on yourself. And maybe at this point, you walk right up to the edge and maybe you just don't even desire or you just, don't, you just lack the motivation. You don't, you don't care to follow Jesus anymore. I mean, you've reached, you've reached a measure of maturity and you go to church and you kind of have everything settled and you're just kind of lukewarm. Maybe, you don't, maybe you're not driven to study the Word anymore. Maybe you say, you know what, I've, I've got up to about 10, 15 minutes a day praying, I'm content. Maybe you don't want to say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally clear my calendar out so I can pray more. Maybe, maybe you would say, you know, I, I mean, I serve the Lord a lot. It's it's just time for me to relax. I'm going to let those young people go on those mission trips. I'm going to let somebody else hold those babies in the nursery. Man, I've done that long enough. I don't really want to teach those teenagers anymore. I've raised my kids. I, 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 don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I sang in the choir long enough. I just want to rest. I just want to put myself in that little box. I don't really want to follow anymore. Can I tell you, that can be a stronghold in and of itself. For you to just rest easy in the blessings of the past and in where God has brought you, that can be a constraint and a stronghold in itself, and Satan loves it. The Bible says Jesus came to set us free. What is your stronghold today? How is the Spirit of God speaking to you today? Can we stand together? Let's stand together, and I want you to think about where you are spiritually. I want you to think about the strongholds that might exist in your life, the habits the addictions, the patterns of bad behavior, the limitations that you have placed upon yourself, maybe a lack of passion and drive for the things of God. What is the limitation that you've put upon yourself? What is the stronghold that's happened in your life? I want you to talk to the Lord about that. I want you to pray about that. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you want to come to the altar and pray at any time, please feel free to do that. Either while I'm talking or while I'm praying or while Andy is praying and singing, if you want to come and just lay something at the altar and say, you know what, God, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the alcoholism. I'm tired of the addictions. I'm tired of that rotten emotion that's been all over me. I'm tired of the workaholism. I'm tired of those habits. I'm, I'm tired of those patterns of behavior. I'm tired of lying all the time. I'm tired of being deceptive tired of these things. God, I don't want them anymore. I don't want that sin in my life. Would you just come and just lay it down before the Lord say, God, please take this, take this stronghold away from me.
maybe it's a limit you've put on yourself. Maybe you, you, you've reached a measure of contentment in your spiritual life, and you're not really following anymore. You're following through with your previous commitments, but you hadn't made a new spiritual commitment, not in a long time. And maybe that's what you need to pray about today. You just need to say, God, please break me out of this rut that I'm in. Take me further. Take me deeper. Help me to pray more. Help me to love your word again. God, instill in me once again a passion and a drive. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've come to the conviction. You've come to the conviction during this sermon. You're like, you know what? I just don't have a spiritual life at all. It's just not there. If that's where you are today, just call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me. Just surrender your heart. Surrender your life. That's what faith is. Faith is giving up. It's giving up on yourself and giving up on your effort. And it's falling headlong at the foot of the cross and saying, I believe and my faith is in you. You spend some time in prayer today. You talk to the Lord. You come to the altar if you feel led.